Good afternoon. Thank you, Pastor Tim. Um, it really is a privilege to be able to um, open up God's word with God's people. It is a privilege to be given the opportunity for uh, you to stand before God's people and to be able to preach God's word. And the reason why it's a privilege, it's because, you know, when I think about before I came to know the Lord, and very much every one of you that, that knows the Lord, before any of us came to know him, we, we know how we were rebels and we were enemies of God. And to see him do a transformative work in our life and bring us uh, alongside of him by the help of his spirit. And as the years go by, feed us with his word and grow us so that we're not just a blessing but are able to bless other people uh, when you look back in retrospect as you're going on, you can only count it a privilege because this is solely God's doing, and we want to acknowledge that. Um, as you already know, our text for uh, this morning is Psalm 134. Now, this psalm concludes what we've come to know as the songs of ascents. Uh, the King James refers to it as a song of degrees, a song of steps, a, star, a songs of going up. And there are 15 of these uh, that form a section from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, which is the last of what we're going to be looking at today. Traditionally, these were held to be psalms that were gathered together for the temple pilgrims as they would come up for the three great um, Jewish festivities in the calendar year. These psalms were used in the worship during the festival times. Now, this, there's no scripture for this. So I can't point anywhere, I don't think any uh, pastor can point anywhere and say this is where we can find that, you know, these songs of ascent were for that. But at least Jewish tradition and history ascribes itself uh, to these kinds of circumstances. And in fact, as you look at them, each of these 15 of these uh, psalms or songs, uh, we see that the kinds of things that are recorded in these psalms uh, lean themselves to the fact that, yes, um, there was uh, the idea that during, these, uh, during this time of the year, they would sing these songs, um, uh, some of despair, some of encouragement, acknowledging uh, their history, what the Lord is doing, and sometimes just a plea to God. And in this psalm, Psalm 134, uh, two Sundays ago when Pastor was giving us an overview of the psalms, um, this psalm falls within um, the, the psalms of praise. Um, there were two great categories, two big categories, if you remember from that um, uh, sermon. One was complaint, or as some would like to put it, lament. And then there was uh, another big category of praise. And here we have one of, uh, of those songs. Uh, psalm 134 is a psalm of praise. And we are coming to this psalm which is, in, in some sense, is a kind of farewell message. It has only three verses, and maybe you could say that good farewell messages are probably short. You know. um, so we've already read Psalm 134, but I want us to read it again, okay? It says, Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. 
May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Now, I want you to notice from the first two verses uh, that there is one group of people that seem to be urging another group of people to bless the Lord. Okay? We can point it out um, in verse 1 and 2. He says, Behold, bless the Lord. This is one group. Someone saying to another person or to another group of people, bless the Lord. Verse 2, he goes on to say, and lift up your hand to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Okay? And then when we go on to verse 3, you see there is some kind of a response to whoever that has been summoned or urged to bless the Lord in pronouncing, as it were, a benediction, a blessing on the person or group of people who have urged them. tongue, things that have been said uh, that are giving him and his soul a lot of discomfort. The psalm is written by someone who is living in an uncomfortable context, just as Israel was among all her pagan neighbors. And you can imagine as it came to the time to travel for the feast, say of Tabernacles or Passover or, um, you know, or you know, the feast of Pentecost, either one of those great feasts of, of the calendar year, someone, okay, imagine this with me, feeling this keen sense of isolation from God's people as he dwelt out there among the heathen. And he's surrounded by foes. Now, with this constant need to be alert and on guard against pillage and robbery and, you know, the destruction of property. This man then speaks in verse 5 of Psalm 120. He says, woe is me, for I sojourn in Meshach. Meshach um, is along the Black Sea. It, it is considered a part of Asia Minor, and that's towards the north of Israel. And then he says, uh, again in verse 5, for I this man, a righteous people, living in a context of hostility and people uh, that have contrary beliefs and hate um, these people. And he has this longing within him to be, to be joined together with God's people because of the environment in which he finds himself. And, and by the time, again, reading from um, Psalm 120 all the way to Psalm 134, which is what we'll be giving the chunk of our attention to, by the time he gets to the psalm, the pilgrim gets to the psalm, it's almost as if... Uh, the festivity has accomplished its work, so to speak. It has done something in him that he can... The only thing he has is praise. And that's very, very important. This psalm, like other psalms, seems to have been left... Again, we're looking at Psalm 120 here. I'm talking about Psalm 120 here. It seems to have left the problem of God's people living in a hostile condition unresolved. Just like it will be until the Lord returns. 
You know, just said in Psalms, when we read, there seems to be complaint. Pastor pointed out again in two uh, sermons ago, there seems to be a complaint, frustration, and somewhere in the midpoint towards the end, there is a resolution. But there are some Psalms where you read, there isn't any kind of resolution. Pastor pointed out, I remember, he said Psalm 77. There isn't any kind of resolution. And, and that's the kind of life that you and I live in the context in which we find ourselves. There's so many times where we have to complain about so many kinds of things. And there may be some respite. There may be some um, temporary solution. When we gather together with God's people and we sing um, his songs and remind ourselves of God's truth. And yet we have to return back into the world and be confronted with the same kinds of hostilities. So it is no wonder then, again, going from Psalm 120, from frustration, look at Psalm 122. David says this. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. There is this progression. In the beginning, there was this frustration. In Psalm 122, he's excited about going to the house of the Lord. He's excited about making the trip to Jerusalem, climbing that hill, not just for the fun of it, but so that he can be able to be guarded with God's people and lift up their hearts to God. And that's exciting. Now, I'm just pointing this out. Um, that this whole section of Psalms, these 15 songs of ascent, begin with a longing for the gathering together of God's people. And the reason why I've done this is to contrast with what we see at the end of this section, which is Psalm 134. The mood is entirely different. The mood of distress and frustration seems to have changed in the psalm. And you probably may feel the same way when you have to wake up in the morning and go to your secular employment. The people around you speak inappropriately. Perhaps they even use the name of the Lord in vain on occasion. There's no one to sit with at break time or even during lunchtime who shares the same spiritual connection or kinship. When you are employed in a place like Bob Jones University, over in Greenville in South Carolina where you're gathered around the Lord's people. You don't have so much this experience because throughout the entire day you're pretty much surrounded by God's people. And you're in this kind of a bubble. Being in this kind of environment, we're talking about the BJU environment, or any kind of environment where it's like it's a Christian environment. You know, you're working in a Christian organization. You're with the Lord's people the entire time. You don't have to bother with, you know, people cussing at you and all kinds of things. There's a sense in which an environment like that does not give you a heightened sense of anticipation for a Wednesday night prayer meeting when you gather with the Lord's people after Monday and Tuesday and you have to go um, and, and join the Lord's people on Wednesday. Or perhaps even on Sunday, you know, you don't have that sense of anticipation. In a place like New York, at least I've been here the last six months, and I'm looking forward to every Sunday service, every gathering as a refresher. Now, I don't interact with a lot of people, but just the sights and sounds is enough to dry up your soul. A couple of years ago, I was working in an organization, a secular organization. It was a human resource consulting firm. And I had the privilege of working as a training and human development manager, if you can believe it. And I loved my job. I loved what I was doing. The, 
the whole notion of selling your, your idea across to someone who's across the table to you and they can buy into that. The, the idea of preparing slides and doing a presentation and seeing that the ideas or the information that you're channeling across to this person or to these group of people is directly impacting their product and service. It was fun. I really enjoyed it. But that environment was a godless environment. It was profane. It was dry. And I worked there for three long years and I could not wait every time to just get back home. And it was so intense that I couldn't be going for, for Wednesday prayer meetings. There were times where I couldn't even go for Sunday services because of uh, the demands of the job. It's not just the demands of the job, but the environment in which you're working in. It was so hostile. And it got to a point where I had to quit. A few weeks ago, about three weeks ago, my wife and I had the privilege of going back home um, to Ghana um, and to be able to visit, with, um, visit our family and you know, spend some time with them. And my, my, my sister-in-law, uh, who works for an insurance company, day after day would come back from work and is complaining about this tyrant that she has for her boss. And he keeps getting on her nerves and trying to undercut and undermine her and, and do all kinds of things. And she would always come back home with frustration. Sometimes she doesn't even get home. She's texting us all the things that's going on in the office. She just wants to vent. She just wants to escape from all of this. And I'm sure that there are many of you sitting here who can relate to what I'm talking about. In the recent Gallup poll that was conducted, it came out, I think, um, on the 17th of this month. Uh, it, it revealed that belief in God in the U.S. has dipped to 81%. That's a new low. The last time this poll was conducted was in 2017, and the figure was at 87%. So in less than a decade, there's been a decline. Now, there's so many interpretations to this statistic. But at the very least, we can conclude that the nation is growing increasingly secular. And that's the place where you and I live every day of our lives. So you can see that the mood of distress expressed by the pilgrim changes in the psalm because of festivity that brings together all of the Lord's people, like I mentioned earlier, seems to have done its work. And now we get to Psalm 134, verse 1 and 2. He says... Psalm 134, verse 1 and 2. He says, Behold, and I'd like to pause and comment on this, on this one word, behold. Um, the way I think about it, it it's, it's more like you know, having your smartphone and receiving a notification. It, it, it prompts your attention away from whatever you may be doing in the moment to give attention to this. We wake up every morning, my wife especially, and she has tons of notification on her screen. And sometimes it's, it's a, a challenge to figure out which one should be looked at first and which one should. 
But that's the essence of this word. Behold, it's, it's calling attention after these pilgrims have ascended to the mount, to, to, to the hill, to Jerusalem, and have offered their sacrifices and shared um, you know, the, the common ancestry and faith with other you know, Jewish people. Enjoy the songs, enjoy the food. It's calling your attention right before you descend. Do not forget this one thing. This is crucial. And why is it crucial? He says, the bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Now, who is he referring to? Who are those, when the festivity is over, have to remain in the temple and still serve by night? These are the priests, the Levites. And... These men had to be set aside. They have been set aside by special privilege. You may recall that when David ordered Israel previous to the building of the temple, he numbered these Levites. There were about some 38,000 of them at the time. He divided them into various ministries. 24,000 were set aside for the general work that was to be done in the temple, preparing of the sacrifices, the special incense, the anointing oil, all of these things were done by these men. And then there were another 4,000 that were appointed musicians. This was a major part of the temple worship. 4,000 were kept at the gates. They kept the gates. 6,000 um, of these men were appointed to serve in some kind of judicial role. He divided them into 24 sections and they rotated on a monthly or sometimes a semi-monthly basis. These were the Levites, the priests. Now you can imagine, think with me again, from the beginning, Psalm 120, frustration, depression, trouble. They have come to Jerusalem, participated in all of the festivities. And now they have to return back to their livelihood, back to dwelling between Meshach and Kedar and all of these hostile people. And you can imagine how there is this longing perhaps in their hearts and perhaps maybe even a godly envy of these people as early in the morning, they had to rise early in the morning, following that week of festivity, the pilgrims will then have to rise up early in the morning by daylight before the heat of the day comes. And again, you can imagine that their caravans were assembly outside the walls and they, they were seeing the Levitical God and hearing of all things, these Levites, 4,000 men, 30 years and, and above, singing in the temple. And they wished that they could be there. They wished that they didn't have to return back to their homes. But these men knew, these women knew that they had responsibilities back home and they had to return. Look at verse 2. It, it seems almost to be a parting admonition from these grateful Israelites that there would be that there would be God's house, there will be in God's house godly men who would remain and worship God and constantly setting themselves apart and acknowledging Him. And that's what bless is. To acknowledge the goodness of God. We, we do not bless God in the same way the Lord blesses us. We do not 
give him any material things. We do not bestow anything of that sort to him. But he does to us. So the idea of blessing here is that we acknowledge and praise God for what he has done and what he continues to do. And I think for this reason, that's why in the NIV, if you read in the NIV version, they decide in verses 1 and 2 rather to translate the word there as blessed to be praised. Just in order to make the distinction clear. But it's the same Hebrew word right through the psalm. Is this Hebrew word Barak. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord in verse 2. And then in verse 3. Bless you from Zion. It's the same Hebrew word. So having looked at you know, these first two verses. A longing in the hearts of these pilgrims. And therefore summoning these Levites. To bless the Lord. Even during the night. And to lift up their hands to the sanctuary. Not just in singing but as well in prayer. Perhaps as a symbol of surrender to the God who created the heavens and the earth. And from whom all blessings flow. They lift up their hands. They are admonishing these people. We're leaving to our homes. We're leaving to our businesses. But please, please, please. Do not stop blessing God. Do not stop worshiping him. It's almost as if they acknowledge that these priests, these Levites, were representatives of the entire, the entire Jewish um, community. And so stand on our behalf and continue even as we, did, we, we return to the farm and return to whatever businesses that we have in blessing the Lord, continually reminding him of his goodness and acknowledging him for who he is and what he continues to do. And then finally in verse 3, it seems to be, as I mentioned earlier, a kind of response or reply from the priest because they are so touched by this admonition from the people as they themselves invoke God's blessing on these departing programs. Verse 3, I want to read it to remind us. May the Lord bless you from Zion. You can imagine this priest or these group of men standing in the temple and proclaiming this blessing upon the people that are departing. May the Lord bless you from Zion. He who made the heavens and the earth. Zion is not what's going to bless you. We the priests are not the ones that are going to bless you. It's God that's going to bless you, but he's going to do it from Zion. Because remember, Zion is a place where the Lord has said that he would manifest his presence. From, blood, from Zion, you shall be blessed. And this reminds me, if you can remember this, in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord telling Moses to tell Aaron. Numbers 6, I'm reading from verse 22. He says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and to his son saying, thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel and, and I then will bless them. And they're continuing this tradition 
these Levites are pronouncing a blessing on the children of Israel. May the Lord bless you out of Zion. He who made heaven and earth. So it doesn't matter where you find yourself. You can be in any corner of the earth. The Lord who made the heavens and the earth will pronounce a blessing from us to you from Zion. And irrespective of your condition, irrespective of wherever you find yourself, whether you're working for a tyrant, whether you're working for people who do not appreciate you, whether you're working for people who continue to spite you, whether you're in a home where people do not recognize you and they say all kinds of things against you, the God of heaven and earth will pronounce a blessing upon you as you continue to bless him and he will bless you from Zion. I think that the parallel to the Lord's um, this parallel to the Lord's people today is not hard to find. Many of you, no doubt, have experienced at some point in your life a certain sense of longing. Perhaps for the ministry. Where you have looked with almost a godly desire and covetousness upon the ministerial office. You have thought about those who the Lord has chosen to give the entire time to pray and to the ministry of the word. Maybe you wish that you could find yourself in a situation like that. Maybe you have known the exact feelings that these pilgrims are expressing in the psalm. What I want to point out is that your responsibility, your responsibility, and really what the ministers of God need is the constant encouragement from the people of God to do the very things that these priests are being admonished to do. So if I can speak for Pastor Tim and Pastor Andrew and for all pastors that the Lord has called. The one thing that they need is for us to take up this responsibility. In encouraging them in the work that the Lord has called them to do. And that work is to continually be waiting on the Lord and acknowledging him. This was exactly what the apostles had to teach the early Christians in the city of Jerusalem, when the administrative affairs of the work far outgrew those men of the apostolic company. Remember, they gathered the people together and asked them to select certain men of certain qualities who would undertake the task that was before them. So that they, these apostles, in turn, would be able to do two things. To be able to pray and to give themselves to the ministry of the word. In Acts 6.4, this is the primary concern of the ministers of God. They are to be praying and to give themselves to the ministry of the word. And any other thing is secondary to their task. This is a sacred calling. And I believe that every minister desires that his congregation would be able to give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of God's word. It is their heart's desire. But in a sense, it's not possible because they have to return to working at EMS or working for UPS and working for all kinds of um, organizations and be able to be able to earn something and to be able to put food on the table and to be able to put clothing on the back of their, uh, their wives and, and their children to be able to run the affairs of this life as it ought to be run. But there is this longing in the minister's heart. And it's the longing of every true believer. We want to give ourselves to constantly be in the presence of God. And having our heart being warmed by him. What we're supposed to be doing again is 
to mount up, as it were, a godly pressure on the men that God has chosen to continually give themselves to blessing the Lord, acknowledging his goodness, to giving themselves to prayer. Paul did this in Ephesians 6, verse 9, verse 19. This is Paul's prayer. He says, and I pray, and he says, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Paul wanted to be prayed for. He needed this so that he can be able to continue preaching the gospel of Jesus as he ought to. And it's a blessing, as I mentioned, I've been here for six months, my wife and I, and we've been privileged to come in Sunday after Sunday and sit on these pews and hear God's word preached and to be able to fellowship with God's people and to be able to sing scriptural hymns and, and, to, and to warm our hearts and be reminded of these things as we are each hoping and waiting for the return of our Lord. Now you may ask, what does this blessing the Lord that is being required of these ministers look like? What is supposed to be the content as it were, of this blessing of the Lord. And I think in the Lord's providence, the next Psalm, Psalm 135, fills that out for us. Let's look at that. Psalm 135. He says, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O servants of the Lord. You who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is lovely. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, verse 5, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deeps. He causes the vapors to ascend and from the ends of the earth. Who makes lightnings to rain for the rain? Who brings forth the wind from his treasuries? Verse 8, he says, he smote the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. He sent signs and wonders into, our, into your midst. O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. He smote many nations. He slew mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan. And he gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his people. Your name, O Lord, is everlasting. Your remembrance, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people and will have compassion on all his servants. The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have ears, but they do not see. They have ears, if they have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Verse 18. Those who make them will be like them. Yes. Everyone who trusts in them, O house of Israel, listen to this, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who revere the Lord, bless the Lord. Finally, in verse 21, he says, blessed be the Lord from Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. If you're wondering what ought to be the content, what is the reason for this praise? Psalm 135 fills it out. The greatness of our God, 
his faithfulness, his past achievements, what he did in Egypt, giving the land then to these people as an inheritance. This is the reason why we ought to bless the name of our Lord. This is the reason why we have to continue to worship him. Because he is this God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And out of Zion, he will bless us. You may be aware that sometimes the ministry comes to a point where it deteriorates into nothing but being an administrator of a kind of small business. It is very disappointing. It's a very disappointing thing to hear a pastor talk about management skills and the pursuit of excellence and all these types of things that drive business corporations as a means of ministerial effectiveness without preaching and living according to the word of God. It's a shame. God's servant is not a director of programs or activities. This is a great mistake. There is an emptiness to all of that. I'm not saying that management and organizational skills are not important. They have their place. But when they take precedence, when they take the place of prayer and giving ourselves to the ministry of the word, so far as the minister is concerned, then that's a good recipe for disaster. In a sense, fellowshipping, even with one another, is a, is a great part of our worship. Yesterday, the, the, the Snavelys opened up their house for us. We were there with a couple of other people. We had some good food. We had some good time together. Uh, Hudson was asking some very good questions. You know, very awesome stuff. And there's a place for Christian and brotherly fellowship like that. But what I want to say is when we set, the, when, we, when that takes precedence, over the, the worship and the serving of God, then it becomes a problem. This is the one place throughout the entire week where we have to shut the world out and shut ourselves in and hear from God and remind him of how much we love him for all that he's done for us. Where we have his ministers lead us in that way and we, with unified hearts, join them in acknowledging that the Lord truly is worthy of praise. So we have to admonish our pastors to continue to bless the Lord. And as it were, keep them on fire for the Lord. They would appreciate that. I believe that. And then they, in return, with their hearts towards us, as is reflected in verse 3 again, pronounce a blessing of the Lord to us. One of the things that I want to point uh, to our attention in verse 3 is that the you over there, may the Lord bless you, is in the singular, it's, it's, it's a singular pronoun over there. And I think the part of what the psalmist and the Lord is trying to communicate is that although the Lord blesses us collectively as a family, as, as, a, you know, as a church family, the Lord is equally interested in you as an individual. And whatever your circumstance, whatever it is that you're confronted with, if you are faithful in, in your service to the Lord, he knows you. He loves you. And he has a blessing from you, for, for you. And he will pronounce that blessing from Zion through his ministers to you. I think that it must be a hard thing for ministers and pastors to watch their members and visitors leave 
after every Lord's Day service. And we have to dismiss everyone. And it's been a good time of service. The pastor wishes that we could have more fellowship. Every one of us could come here and just sing hymns and praise the Lord. And hear testimonies of what the Lord is doing in each other's lives. Recognizing how a situation used to be. And by praying and lifting up before God and supporting one another where we can. The Lord is turning things around. And these ministers, I believe, long that there would be a time like that. And there will be. But it's not now. There will be a day like that. Well, we all, with saints, all across the nations of the world, think about it. People from Ghana, people from Zambia, people from Uzbekistan, Uruguay, wherever, you, wherever believers all across the nations of the world will be gathered in one place. Praising the Son of God. And casting our crowns before him. And telling him of his greatness. Singing that he alone is holy and he's holy and he's holy. A day like this is coming. Well, we all will be gathered like that. And I want to say the only way that you and I can be able to experience that, the only way that we can continue to have a hope like that, is when we've entrusted our soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. Confessing with our mouth that the Lord Jesus is Lord and believing in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. Until we are born again, this cannot be our experience. And so... At the end of the service, pastor will come up, share a word of prayer, and, and, and if you need help on this, you can either see Pastor Tim, see Pastor Andrew, or any of the elders, and they can be of help to you. Now, if you remember again, two Sundays ago when pastor started this series, at the end of that sermon, book theology, there's a condensed theme at the end of every book theology. And this is what he said. Praise the Lord for he is great and will bring the Messiah who provides eternal deliverance to all who trust in him. Isn't that what we've just looked at? Praising God who will bring this Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who provides eternal deliverance to all those who trust in him. This little Psalm, Psalm 134, really reflects the feelings of people Dwelling in the midst of a very hostile, antagonistic, unsympathetic environment. And as these people return home, back to that kind of environment, they admonish their ministers to maintain this sacred task of blessing the Lord, acknowledging him, being faithful in that work. Not just undertaking the task out of duty and responsibility, but lifting up their hands as a sign of surrender and affection, really believing with one heart that truly the Lord is worthy of praise. And the ministers then would say, may the Lord bless you out of Zion, he who made the heavens and the earth. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We bless you that we have the privilege of calling you our Father. Oh, how that you sought us when we were rebels. How that we were your enemies and yet you loved us. And you demonstrated that by sending your only son Jesus to die on our behalf. 
died for all of humanity. And we have been beneficiaries of that one great sacrifice. And you have given us your spirit who is resident in our hearts. Guides us every step of the way. We ask, O oh God, that these words that we've heard will not fall on rocky soil, but will fall on fertile ground. This short psalm, reminding us of the pilgrims who with longing in their hearts desire that their ministers will continue to bless your name and they in turn with warm hearts pronounce a blessing upon the people not a blessing of their own but from you who made the heavens and the earth we pray that these blessings will be effectual in our lives you know our individual circumstances and wherever we find ourselves we know that you're not only concerned about us as a collective body, but even more so as individuals, sending us to every corner of the world to testify of your goodness. We ask, O oh God, that throughout this week, you will remind us when we are confronted with hostile and difficult conditions, and we wish that it would end. May we, like Asaph, return to the sanctuary and receive understanding. May we call upon you as families, let fathers leave their homes, let wives gather their children in proclaiming the true faithfulness of our God who is worthy of our praise. We bless you, we thank you for having at our prayer as always, and it's in Christ's precious name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. All right, thank you so much.